Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 3, the book of Acts in the New Testament. Chapter 3 is where we're going to begin in just a few moments. And uh, so excited for the continuation of this series. Uh, Loving the people who suck the life out of you. We all have people like this in our lives, uh, relational vampires. And uh, one thing I always find entertaining is this is the third week of the series, and we've showed that video now a couple times, and every time the woman pops her head up in the door, there's a laugh. There's always someone that laughs at that every single week. I love that. Um, It's just whoever's laughing every week, like every week you see it, you still laugh, you're a person that enjoys life. So I appreciate you because you're taking joy in the little things, and I like that. Uh, We got to do that in life for sure. Over the last two weeks, we have talked about dealing with controlling people and critical people. Controlling people and critical people. If you've missed the last two weeks, I do encourage you. We are going to have so many ways for you to get this series. You can get it online immediately. Both two weeks are already online and on the app, our church app. If you didn't know we have a church app, you can go to your app store, North Goodland, B.C., and download our church app. It's on there. Uh, You can get the CDs. Uh, You can order them and purchase them so you have them for your vehicle or maybe at home. Or if you want, you can actually, once the series is done, uh, we are going to make this series available at the Welcome Center to check out, kind of like our sermon library. Uh, You can check it out for four weeks and then return it and uh, kind of just on your Christian honor kind of a thing there. And we would love to just have the Word of God exposed to you. All of the series that we do, uh, we did a series to start off January, uh, Small Things, Big Difference. And if you missed that series or if you're curious about that series, again, you can go to the Welcome Center. You can order that. You can get it online or you can check it out of the sermon library. And so whatever way that you can have those available to you, we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, We ended last week talking about critical people uh, with two keys to help in this area of criticism. Two basic keys to help in this area of criticism. And we kind of ran short on time, so I'm going to give you to them again and give them to you again in just those couple keys. Uh, two keys to help you deal with this area of criticism. Allow Christ, first and foremost, allow Christ to guard your own hearts. If you feel that you're being criticized, you need to think, okay, God, I want you to guard my heart and mind from the wrong criticism, from the things that are untrue, from the things I need to not listen to. We said it. What's the best way and the most common way we respond to criticism? We don't respond. Right? Often, when someone's criticizing us, we don't respond. Occasionally, okay, occasionally we respond carefully. What did we talk about? We give context. Maybe you're a, a stay-at-home mom and, and the kids are in school and you feel led to get back to work or you want to go back to school or something like this. And, and family members or neighbors or even people in a church setting are saying, why would you do that? You're too old for that. You can't go back to school. You're blah, 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 and all these criticisms. Maybe you need to kind of just sit back and say, let me give you some context as to why I'm doing this. And then in that context, they would go, oh, you know what? That makes sense. I was wrong. I'm sorry. So often, we don't respond. Occasionally, we respond with context or we respond carefully. But sometimes, hear me now, sometimes we listen and make a change. If everyone around you is saying the same things, that they're concerned about the same issue, then maybe you need to step back and say, maybe it's not just them being crazy. Maybe I do need to listen and make some changes. So criticism is not always bad. Sometimes we need constructive, healthy, godly criticism to help us to stay focused. 
right? The Bible's chocked full of verses that say, admonish one another, counsel one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. So we're there to help each other. Sometimes we listen and make a change, but in all of it, we need to allow Christ to guard our minds and our hearts. We're wanting him to make sure that we're listening to the right things. But also, personally, when we look inward, are we being overly critical? So first, allow Christ to guard your heart and mind. But secondly, are you condemning or encouraging? Are you criticizing someone because you genuinely have prayed about this issue? You see an area in their life where they're struggling in sin, and as a brother or sister in Christ, you go to them and you lovingly encourage them and you humbly come before them and say, I don't know if what I'm seeing is true, but I just, out of love for you, I just, I feel I need to share this. How can I help in this? Is, can we pray about this together? Is there anything I do to help in whatever situation you're finding? We go desiring to be encouraging. We don't go to condemn someone and tear someone down. But listen, when you come to give criticism to someone that's living in sin as a follower of Christ, and you're going in all the right ways, everything you're doing is according to Scripture, as best as you can, not perfect, but as close as you can, and you still get anger, you still get someone that's defensive with you, don't take it personally. Because they're not really getting mad with you. They're not really mad about the criticism. They're under what's called conviction. And they know God has already shown them that this isn't what they should be doing. And so when you come and you affirm what God is already showing them, they get defensive, they get angry. But don't give up. Don't quit on them. Don't get angry and say hurtful things to them. Don't condemn them. Continue to encourage them with the truth and love on them. So we allow Christ to guard our hearts and minds, but we also look inward and say, are we condemning or encouraging? Are we helping or are we hurting? This morning... We're going to be looking at the next part of this talk, how to deal with needy people, needy people. Now, don't raise your hand and don't point at anyone. Don't, everybody look down, right? Don't, nobody look at anybody, okay? How many of you, don't raise your hand now and don't point, how many of you know someone that's just needy? It seems like no matter what you do, they always need more. They always need more. They always need more. We all know that in various groups of friends or even family, there is that one person that always is in need. When you see them, you know the conversation will be mostly dominated by what? By them. By their struggles. They will share even the same story they've shared last time. They tend to always be a victim of circumstances, and they tend to always be negative. You just, you see him come and you think, oh. what's one of the first questions you ask somebody when you want to know how they're doing? How you doing today? This is a person that you don't even think that question is a good question to ask. They're what I call the Eeyores of society. The Eeyores of society. Oh, how you doing today, brother? Well, I'm not dead yet, but I might as well be. Woo, that's a... Fired up now. Come on, calm down. We all know these people. You have a conversation, and listen, what's the, the subtitle of this message? Loving the people who suck the life out of you. And listen, critical people are difficult to love, but I think needy people are even more difficult to love because your heart is for them. You want to love them, but man, you know the longer you listen, the more depressed you're going to get. 
You ever leave a conversation with a person like this and you go home and you look at your spouse and they're like, how you doing? You're like, I was doing great. <laughs> and then I talked to so-and-so. And if, they, if your spouse, if you have an open marriage, as far as communication-wise, it's the only kind of open marriage you should have, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> isn't that just ridiculous that we live in a day and age? If I would have said open marriage like 30 years ago, 20 years ago, nobody would have thought anything negative, right? They would think you're open in dialogue, communication, trust. I say open marriage now. People are like, oh, <laughs> he said open marriage. Mm, that's funny. It just, it just messes with my, I just, I hate, it's like, I remember, I'm not going to get too sidetracked, but I'll get a little sidetracked. I remember, I wasn't in youth ministry very long, maybe a couple years. And I was in high school, okay, so this is like mid, late 90s, okay, graduated in 2000, okay. When I was in high school, if you said, I'm going to hook up with someone, it just meant hanging out. That's all it meant. Going and getting some pizza or something, just playing video games. We're going to hook up and play video games. I was in youth ministry for a couple years, and I was teaching the kids. And I said, listen, guys, I said, you guys, be careful when you're dating. You know, you don't want to, you just need to be, just hook up with people. Just hook up with as many people as you can and just, just have fun. I think all of them were so stunned. They just looked at me. And I thought, yeah, this is really going home. This is getting home. Yeah, conviction. I had one of the girls, bravest one in the group, come up to me. I, I don't know if it was... It might have been Lauren Blount. I don't know who it was. Shannon Klein, one of them. They come up and said, um, I don't know how to tell you this. I was like, what? What's going on? I'm thinking, oh, this is that heartfelt moment. What, what do you need? And she's looking at me. She said, I don't think hook up means what you think it means. And I was like, doesn't it mean just hanging out, have fun? She said, no, no, it doesn't. Then she told me what it means, and I went the next week, and I said, never hook up with anybody, ever. Never hook up. If you're like, what is, what is he talking about? Just ask your either teenage child or anyone under the age of 37, apparently, and they will know the answer. But if you have a marriage where you're open in communication, and you're dialoguing, and you say that person's name, and they go like this, oh, yeah then listen, we got to be so careful here because, listen, we want to help them, but we have to be careful that we don't become arrogant. Hear me now. Like, I, listen, man, I understand needy people. I understand when you have someone in your family or your friends or just your area of influence that just seems to always be in need. And what I want to talk about this morning is how can we help them? How can we really love them? Again, you want to help them, but they always seem to need more. You want to be a blessing, but part of you knows this isn't the last time they will ask for help. As you're helping them, you know this six weeks, six months, six hours, like you're going to get another call. You're going to get another text. You're going to get another conversation. There's going to be another financial need, another physical need, another can you watch my dog again. You know there's going to be something and so even as you're giving and you're like, Lord, I want to be a blessing, but I really don't want to help this person because now they think I can just get help anytime I want. I'm just becoming kind of a, a sucker, right? I mentioned to somebody this morning, they said, during greet time, they said, man, I've really been enjoying the messages the last couple of weeks. Just, you know, and I didn't take it personally that he hasn't enjoyed all the messages he's always heard here. But anyway, <laughs> I got what he meant. It's cool. It's cool. It's good. I'm confident enough. I don't need anyone to reaffirm that, okay? No. <laughs> Kidding. Um, 
And I said, well, this morning we're talking about needy people. And this guy, he actually, he laughed. And he's like, man, I tease my brother all the time. You only call me when you need something. We've got people like this in our lives. And don't you want to, like, as you're on the phone with them, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't want to help you. Click. Like, don't you, like, part of you, and I know the Jesus thing isn't to do that, but inside you're like, man, I just want to tell you just to go away. So how do we love those people? Again, this is very complicated. Why? Because as followers of Christ, really do love them. Listen, we really do love them. And we want to help them. But when we pull back, listen now, when we pull back and regroup, we decide, you know what, I'm going to need to step back. I just, I can't keep doing this every couple of weeks. By the way, financially, it's not fair, right? I can't, I can't afford to help you every couple of weeks. The truth is, when we pull back, we feel guilty. We actually feel bad for not being able to help. But if we help them in the wrong way, we are actually hurting them. So that's the key we got to understand. If we help them in the wrong way, then we're not really helping them. We're actually hurting them. Acts chapter 3 and verses 3 through 5. I want you to turn there if you're not there yet. We're going to read it in just a minute. Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. So how do we help without hurting? How do we do what Christ has commanded us to do, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves? How do we encourage those around us and support those in need, but we do it in a way that is helpful and not hurting? The first thing, if you're taking notes, you have to understand is we give strategically. We give strategically. We don't give emotionally. Now, this is harder depending on the person, the situation. I understand that. But in a general sense, we give strategically. We do not give emotionally. We don't give what is easy and makes us feel good in the moment. We give what is wise and spirit-led to give to truly help that person not hurt them. We don't give emotionally in the moment. We give strategically with wisdom. Acts chapter 3, look at verse 3. Some of your personality, as soon as I said to turn there, you've already read it. You're actually in verse 7, verse 8. You just keep reading because you're just like, what's this telling me? And now you're coming back to me right now because people are laughing and you're like, wait, he's talking again? What's going on? You're like, how do you know that? I know that because that's what I used to do all the time. Pastor Tom would be like, let's go to this passage. And he'd be doing his introduction and I'm like, wow, that's really, look at that. That's awesome. And oh, he's talking again. I guess I better listen. Okay, so verse 3. Acts 3 and verse 3. This is a story here about a man that was laying by the gate of the temple. And he's asking for things. He's a beggar. He, he needs help. He can't walk. He's gotten used to people carrying him and setting him by the gate. He begs all day. Someone comes, picks him up, carries him home. He does this every day. Look at verse 3. Who's seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. What is an alms? Some of your translations say something different. He wanted money, right? I need money. Can you give me some money, please? And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, and John said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Okay? So what does he do? He asked for money. Right? He asked for finances. I need you to give me some money. I'm a beggar. I have nothing. Look, I'm in need. Give me money. And Peter and John show up, and they say, Look at us. Look at who we are. And they look at them. They make a decision. We're not going to give emotionally. They're going to give strategically. The man is in need because he is crippled. 
and asked Peter and John for money. This is what he wanted, right? Are we with this? He wanted money. But Peter and John decided to give him what he was in need of. See, he wanted money, but he needed something else. The easy thing to do would be what? To just give the man some money and just walk away. Let me ask you a question. If they did that, would they feel better about themselves? Would would they feel good? Hey, we give this guy some money. We should feel good about that, right? Is it wrong to give money to somebody who asks that is in need, a poor person who is begging? No. Maybe in that moment, they need something else, though. And Peter or John looked at the situation, and it would have been so easy to say, okay, here's some money, and go about their day and say, man, don't you feel good? I feel good. Look how we help that guy. And we get a little pride, a little arrogance, a little cockiness spiritually. But they looked at the situation and said, you know what, man, this guy wants money, but I think he needs something else. Peter and John went a step beyond the basics of what he wanted. Look at verses 6 and 7. Verse 5 says that he gave heed unto Peter and John because he thought he was going to get something from them. Okay, they're going to give me some money. Verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lift him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. You see, this man wanted money. Just give me some money. I do it every day. This is how I get by. Just give me some money. Peter and John said, listen to us. I don't have any money to give you, but I'll give you what I do have. And what I have is Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to ask you to stand up and be healed. You see, they didn't just do the easy thing. They did the hard thing, and they said, what does this guy really need? What does he want? He wants money. But what does he need? He needs something more. When someone who is needy asks us for more money, more time, more attention, the wise thing to do, maybe, in that situation, is not just to give a hand out, but what did Peter and John do? They gave a hand up. Did you notice that? So it took him by the right hand and lifted him up. You see, so often we get in this cycle of just helping people what we think is helping them by just giving them handout after handout after handout. Hand out more time, hand out more attention, hand out more finances, hand out more stuff, hand out more this. And next thing you know, we've enabled them to do nothing. And then instead of helping them up, we've really pushed them down. Now listen, again, I'm not saying we never give a handout, we never give financially. You've given to someone financially, you've received something financially. I mean, Sandra and I have been so blessed in the ministry here. People say all the time, well, you know, I don't know if the church pays you enough, and I don't know about that. I get what people say, but listen, the church can pay me a million dollars, and it can't match the blessings we've already received from God's people. It's been amazing. But I'm so thankful that God's people don't just hand out, hand out, hand out, hand out. But over my ministry, people have said, let me help you up from that. Let me help you through this. Let me give you some wisdom on how to avoid this situation in the future. I'm so thankful that people in my life have helped me up, not just gave me a hand out. In those moments when people are demanding and needy of more time and more attention, we are tempted to respond emotionally and in the moment. But that may actually cause hurts. Rather, we give strategically and truly desire to show them how much we love them by not doing what is easy. However, a person in need may say something like this. You say you love me, so you need to give me fill in the blank. You say you love me, so give me money. 
You say you love me, so give me more time. You say you love me, so this. Be very careful there. We talked about this two weeks ago. What is that? That's a control technique. That's a threat. That's guilt. No, what you do is you say, listen, because I love you, I'm not going to do what's easy. I'm not going to do what's just what you want. I'm going to do what's needed by God's strength. Think about it. The guy that says, I need $300 to pay my car payment. I need it. I need $300 to pay my car payment. You say you love me, so give me $300 to pay my car payment. Now, nobody really is that demanding usually, but let's say in this hypothetical someone is. But you know this person just bought an Apple Watch. Doesn't work. Plays video games all day. This is an adult. Plays video games all day. Just bought an Apple Watch. Doesn't work and says he needs you to give him $300 for his car payment. No, what he needs to do, and what's helpful for him, is to help him get a job. My stepdad told me when I was young, I was like 16, 15, 16, and I said something about needing a pair of shoes. He said, no, you want those shoes, you need a job. And I looked at him and said, I'm only 15, I'm only 16. He said, you can get a job. I'll buy you these shoes. You don't like those shoes? Get a job. Buy your own shoes. And you know what? Honestly, I am so thankful for that. Because I learned at a very young age, man, listen, I'm not going to walk around respecting, expecting everyone to give me what I want just because I want it. No, 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 no. There are times when you come into real need and you're doing all the things you can do and you still come up short. That's different. You understand me? That's different. Somebody's working hard and doing what they can, but they just come up short and say, man, I just really need a, help, a helping hand right now. And I, you know, I promise I'll pay you back and we'll make it good. Fine. But when you know the person's situation is they just don't care and they're just wanting to live off of you. Listen, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, whatever the relationship, uh-uh. No, we're drawing a line in the sand. Because why? Not because we don't love them, but because we love them so much, we want to help them, not hurt them. Again, this doesn't mean we don't give in a moment if it's the best thing to do. When it's a person that is always in need, seemingly, we need to draw a line in the sand and say, I want to help you up, not enable you to stay down. I want to help you up, not enable you to stay down. So what do we do? How do we help without hurting? We give strategically. Secondly, and quickly, we serve wisely. We serve wisely. I want you to think of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Think of all the things that Jesus did while on planet Earth. Think about this. He was the greatest teacher, was he not? He taught people. He, he just was there with them. He had a way with words to encourage people up from their situations. He invested in people. He healed people. He loved people. He was compassionate. I mean, when Jesus would talk to somebody, he would listen to them way better than I could. He would be encouraging to them and ministering to them. But you know what's amazing? I don't know if anybody in this world, after Jesus Christ, especially anybody in this room, has really ever had the need on their life and their time and the demands as Jesus did. I mean, think about it. Everywhere Jesus went, it wasn't like one or two people. It was multitudes of people would just flock him. Read the Gospels. So many times it says that they couldn't even get to Jesus because of the press. What does that mean? There were so many people, they couldn't get through the crowd. Could you imagine just one day in the life of Christ? You live one day in the life of Christ. You think you're tired. You think your schedule's demanding. You think you got a lot on your plate. Everywhere he went, it was Jesus. We need, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. 
everything was just about him. We need you. Demanding. And yet he was compassionate and he was loving. How in the world did he do that? This is where we say, well, he was God. But I do believe there are some principles that Jesus demonstrated that we can apply to our lives today so that we can be loving to those in need, but we help instead of hurt. We give strategically, but we serve wisely. Mark chapter 1. Go over to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. How was it Jesus was able to do all of this in his ministry? How was he able to compassionately love people where they were, serve people where they were, teach the way he taught? The schedule he carried was immense. I mean, just think of one day how many times Jesus preached a message. Think of one day how many Bible studies Jesus had to do. How many stories Jesus had to tell. And again, we say, well, he was God. He was also man. How was he able to not just be white? I tell people, you know, I was blessed to be able to go on a missions trip a couple years ago. And I, in, in like six days, I preached like 10 times. Six days, 10 times I preached. Different churches and groups and things. At the end of that period, I was just wiped out. I was like, oh man. And then I read the life of Christ and I'm like, how did you do it? How were you able to be so able to love these people and yet still have compassion for them? What did the disciples, after just a couple of days of ministering and the, the crowds are coming in the wilderness, they said, hey, can't we just tell these people to leave? We want to just take a break. Man, we've been doing this for days. Can we just get them out of here? Jesus says, well, let's see how we can get them some food. I mean, how can you be that compassionate? I believe Mark 1.35 gives us an insight into the ministry of Christ and tells us how. And in the morning... Mark 1.35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Went out to a solitary place and there prayed. Look at verse 36. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. In verse 35, we see something so amazing. The disciples come looking for Jesus. Why? Because he got up before they got up, went out, and had time with the Lord. Now listen, let me just say this, because this is where a lot of pastors would tell you that this means you only can do Bible study and prayer in the morning. you got to get up before the day starts. Okay? I'm just going to be real with you. I have a moment of time with the Lord in the morning. When I wake up, I have some time of prayer. I'll read his word for a minute or two. And then I get about my day. For me, studying the word of God in the afternoon, praying more in, in evening at night before I fall asleep, that's where I'm more effective in that area. I'm just not a morning person. So if I was to get up and read a chapter in the word of God in the morning, three hours later, I would forget what I read. Just being real. This is not saying all of us have the exact same devotional life 24-7. We all are doing the same thing. It's emphasizing what? A principle. Jesus disconnected from the, the need, disconnected from the crowd, and went and spent, what does it say? Solitary time with his father. Just spent time with the Lord. And because he did that, what was he able to do? I believe, some people say, well, that's not very wise use of your time because I could do more if I spend less time with the Lord and do more in my day. I promise you, and I don't understand why it's this way, but if you spend time with the Lord every single day, that time you invest with the Lord will make your rest of your things much more effective. I don't know how that works. 
Well, no, I don't. And this is the same thing true of worshiping together in church, by the way. Well, I just don't have time for church. I'm just too busy. I don't know why it is, but I promise you, if you gather together and worship with the body of Christ, you will be energized. And there's nothing mystical or new age about this, by the way. This is just a principle of God's word. You need a time to reconnect with your God, that he can energize and give you the strength to get through Because life is full of needy people. Life is full of discouragement. Life is full of critical people. Life is full of negative junk. Life is full of all this stuff. And we need to disconnect, recharge our batteries. I believe it's individually, and I believe it's corporately with the church. And as we're doing that, we're able to get more accomplished for the glory of God, not less. And so how did Jesus do all of this? He unplugged from the need around him. But what happened even as he was unplugged? What do the disciples do? One translation says, everyone is looking for you. The disciples cried out. Man, Simon, take a a break, okay? Just take a breath, okay? I have an 11-year-old son, and sometimes things that are really not that big a deal become a very big deal. Anyone can relate to this? Children of that age, preteen, okay, teens, okay? Sometimes things that really aren't a big deal, in that moment, what? It seems huge. No, you don't understand everybody is looking for you, Jesus. Simon, breathe. Count to 10. Have a seat. We'll be fine. But sometimes you can get this pressure from those around you. Let me maybe say it this way. Do we have any moms here? There's a laugh from one, okay? Do we have any moms here that have tried to have that moment of solitude, the safest place in the house to have solitude, or so we think, is the bathroom. Okay? Some of you need to install a lock on your bathroom door. I'm just saying. Many of our moms here have tried to go in the bathroom and just have a solitary moment to just be still and just silence. And after a minute or two, what happens? The kids that you thought were not paying attention actually always pay attention, and when you leave, they become very aware of that. And you hear these little voices off in the distance crying out, Mom, Mom, where are you? We're all looking for you. We all need you. And you think, what? It's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. If I just stand super still, they won't see me. They won't hear me. And then what happens? Mom, Mom, are you in there, Mom? Mom, 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 he touched me. Mom, Mom, she sneezed on me. Mom, he, he looked at me funny. Come on, Mom, Mom. Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, when can I eat? Can I eat, Mom? Mom? And you think, okay, it stopped. They went away. They ain't going nowhere. (laughs) Every mom in the room knows what happens next. This is the door. Mom, Mom, are you in there? Mom, can you see my hands? Mom, are those my fingers? Mom, look at my fingers. Mom. And that's honestly, if you're ever just thinking, what was the life of Jesus like? That's the life of Jesus. Everywhere he went, Jesus, come on, Jesus, we need you, Jesus, so-and-so sick, Jesus, Jesus. And it's like, if we're not careful, if we don't unplug and disconnect for a time and reconnect with the Lord and spend time with him, we have to reconnect, disconnect and reconnect with the Lord. Why? To focus on our own spiritual health. Why is that so important? Because if we're not spiritually healthy, we're not going to be able to help anyone else. You can't help anyone else. If you're not spiritually healthy, if you're flying on an airplane and the cabin depressurizes, what happens? These oxygen masks are supposed to fall out of the ceiling, okay? 
Never been on a plane where this has happened? Has anyone ever been on a plane where the oxygen mask actually fell down? Well, okay, they did work then. Okay, good, that's, that's encouraging, okay? Whenever the flight attendant's like, and this is what's going to happen, I'm like, is it though? Is it? Is that what's going to happen? What's the first thing they tell you though when those masks fall down? Put the mask on yourself. Then you look at your children. You decide which one's going to be more productive. Okay, yeah, you. Just No, don't do that, okay? Who's got the better MBA career? Your jump shop's way better. Okay, you're going for it. No, but why do we do this? What's the natural instinct that if those masks fall down and you're a parent, what's your natural instinct going to be? Get it on my child, right? That's just human. I want to help them. They can't do it. I want to help them. And in, with great intentions, in a moment of emotional response, we actually hurt them. Why? Because if we're not getting the oxygen we need, we might get a mask on one person, but we won't get it on two people. But if we put it on ourselves first, now we can help other people. And we're healthy enough to do that. I love what one author shared about the aspect of the Good Samaritan story in the Gospel of Luke. I've never noticed this before. Many of you know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? He really wasn't that good, was he? He was just normal. Good Samaritan, I mean, he just did what anyone should do, right? If they're being honest. This, this man in the story, it's just a story, but this man is, is beaten up and robbed and left on the side of a road between two cities, and he's left for dead. And two different Jewish priests and leaders come by, and they walk on the other side of the street. They ignore it. They avoid it. They don't want anything to do with it because they're, they're religious, and they don't want to be defiled by this man who is obviously not uh, someone that is religiously holy. He's been wounded. He's bleeding. I can't touch him. So in, uh, in an aspect of trying to keep their religion, they actually violate the greatest principle of God, which is love thy neighbor as thyself. So they go on their way. Well, this guy shows up. This good Samaritan, and I love the story because Jesus picked the Samaritan to be the hero of the story because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Even prejudice, uh, prejudice things happened back 2,000 years ago. So this guy shows up. What does he do? He bandages them up. He picks them all up, gets them all cleaned up, puts them on his animal, takes them to an inn, drops them off at the inn, and tells the innkeeper, here's money for him. Uh, please take care of him. And if he needs anything else, give it to him. And when I come through again, what will I do? What does he say? I will pay you back. What does the guy do then? What is the good Samaritan, this example of Christ-likeness, really, what does he do? He left. It doesn't say he sat by the edge of the bed and waited for the guy to be okay. He left. And the story doesn't tell us, Jesus doesn't tell us where he went, but odds are, if you can promise someone, I'll pay you when I get back, what do you need to do to make money? You need to go to work. So odds are, when this guy left, what do you think he went back to? His responsibilities. He went back to his job. He went back to his life. See, this is the thing. We hear that story and we're like, I need to always be available to help. But sometimes we need to disconnect, focus on our own health, physically and spiritually, reconnect with our Father, get our spiritual health ready, do, fulfill our responsibilities, and now we're able to help more effectively. You see, we give strategically. We serve wisely. The truth is, you can't say yes often. You don't say no occasionally. Some of us need to write that down because it's tough for us to say no. You can't say yes often. And isn't that the goal? We want to help often, don't we? We want to help. We want to be there for people. But we can't say yes 
often if you don't say no occasionally. We serve wisely. But number three, and quickly and lastly, we trust completely. We give strategically. We serve wisely. But number three, we trust completely. We do what we are called to do in serving strategically and wisely. Then we trust the Lord with the results. Because he is the true source of the help someone needs. Again, some of us need to hear this. The truth is, it is insulting and dangerous to think that we are the source of meeting someone else's needs. It's dishonoring to God to think we are necessary in every case to meet all the needs in someone's life. We are not someone else's answer. It is dishonoring to God. It is prideful and is insulting to God that we would think that we are so important that this person cannot be okay unless we step in and just take care of everything. They need me. I'm the source of their help. I'm the one that's taking care of them. And how insulting to a sovereign God is that? How insulting to a God that says he loves us so much that he knows everything about us. That he knows the hairs on your head. He knows all the details of your life. And we tell God, God, it's okay, I got this one. I'm the answer. I'm the one that needs to step in here. The truth is, Jesus is the answer. And that's not just a church saying. It's not just a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. It's the truth. Jesus is the only source of true life change for that individual. Jesus is the only source of true power that's going to change them and help them and encourage them and strengthen them. He is the answer. We are just the delivery system. He is the power and we are the conduit. The Lord uses us to help, but he is the source. Psalm 70 says this, But as for me, poor and needy, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help. You are my help, the psalmist says, and my deliverer. Do not delay. Lord, do not delay. If you think you are necessary in every way to meet every need, if you think God needs you to fix everyone else, then your God is too small. If you think God needs you to fix everyone else, I'm just being honest with you, and we all battle with this to certain degrees, I know I've been there, then you think your God is too small. When we don't prayerfully consider how to give wisely and strategically, we may be robbing someone of the opportunity to grow through natural consequences that God has set up to teach them. Not only can we get prideful and think it's all about us, we actually, in an effort to help, but not using wisdom and not praying it through and not looking at the situation in a non-emotional way. And I know that's difficult. I, I, believe me, I know. But when we just short-circuit all those things and we just jump in and help and help and help and help and help and help and help, we're actually robbing that person of the joy that God has established a principle that if you sow it, you should reap it. And so many times with great intentions, and listen, again, I'm not saying we never help. I'm just saying there are times that it should be pretty obvious. Maybe God is trying to teach this person something, and we keep stepping in, and we keep short-circuiting 
what God is doing. And we're robbing this person of the lesson that God is trying to teach them. The Apostle Paul declares it to us clearly. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Sometimes we have to because we love them. And that's the key, isn't it? We cannot forget that. We have to do this because we love them. Allow the consequences to play out so that they may come to their senses. Think about the prodigal son off in the far country, sitting in a pig pen. No one would help him. But do you know where he came to his senses? Sitting in the pig pen when no one would help him. So when he hit his very bottom, he finally said, what am I doing? This is foolishness. So I mean, even the servants in my father's house eat better than I'm eating right now. I'm going to go home. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm paraphrasing. And I'm going to turn back to my father. You see, it took him hitting that point that he finally came to his senses. But I guarantee you, if somebody kept stepping in and stepping in and stepping in, it would have prolonged that experience, would have prolonged that journey. The truth is, and we have to understand this, that rescuing is not always helping. Rescuing is not always helping. Think about someone that's always late to work and you're their alarm clock. Someone that doesn't want to get up for school, an older teen, and you're their alarm clock. This is so hard, but I believe it's necessary at times. And again, please understand I'm not talking extremes. I'm saying in a balance. There are times where that person that is always late to work, coworker, a family member, that you're the alarm clock, maybe that person needs to lose their job. Maybe they need to lose their job. That person that's always misusing their finances and spending their money on all this foolishness and come to you month after month to help them pay their rent. Maybe they need to lose their apartment. Maybe they need to downsize. That person that has that car they really can't afford and they're always looking for help with that, maybe they need to sell that car. I just want us to understand this. Maybe there's some natural consequences that sound so harsh to our ears because we love them and we believe the lie that loving them means we always rescue them. Listen, mom and dad, if you've got grown children that are still making the same foolish decisions they've made for years and they call you, hey, would you come bail me out? Maybe it's time to say, man, because I love you, I can't do that. I'm here for you. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll do whatever I can to help you, but I can't do that. That's where I got to draw the line. Doesn't that sound, it sounds so harsh. But I believe it's the loving thing to do. We have all met and know needy people in our lives. So how do we help and not hurt We help by giving strategically. We help by serving wisely. And we help by trusting the Lord completely. We also guard our hearts from giving and serving with arrogance. Walk in with a Messiah complex into somebody's life as though you're the answer. I'm here. I'll take care of it. I'm here to help. You know, for a long time I've heard a phrase, and I used to even say it myself. And when people would tell me, I know what they mean when they say this, but you ever have someone tell you, oh, yeah, so-and-so, they're my my project person. 
It's my project person. I'm working on them. I don't know if there's a more arrogant statement you can make, but if there is, I haven't heard it. And here's the thing. I'm being transparent. I've said it. I've said it. I've thought it. Ah, oh, well, they're just, a, you know, someone we're working on. Now, is it true that God is working on all of us? We're all under construction if we're being real honest. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, God is completing, doing something in us. But man, nobody's your project person. There's somebody that God loves so much that God's brought him into your life to encourage and support and strengthen and honor God through. They're a project. And they're a person that God loves. So you have to be careful as we're helping people not to get arrogant and boastful. We humbly serve because one day we will be in need. We serve humbly because one day we will need forgiveness. We serve humbly because one day we needed forgiveness from the Lord, and he came to us, and he didn't just give us a hand out. He gave us a hand up, and he set our feet upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and he said, you are mine, and I am yours. And I didn't have to do it, but I love you this much that I'm going to do whatever's necessary to help you right where you are, and I'm not going to give you what you want. You ever been reading the Word of God and praying, and God answers your prayer request with something you didn't want, but something you needed. I'm so thankful he doesn't give us always what we want, but he always gives us what we need and when we need it. So I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're here and you have a needy person in your life. How is God speaking to you to trust him, to give strategically, to serve wisely? Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're the person that's always asking, always in need, always struggling. This is not to make you feel bad. It's to help us to all, because I've been there too, to all look inside and say, is there anything I can do to change my situation? Is there anything I can control in this situation? Should I stop asking for a handout and start asking for a hand up to allow someone to help me, truly help me in what I really need and not just what I want? Would you bow your heads right there where you are as we go to the Lord in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace, love, mercy, forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that when we were in our sin, content to just live in our sin and to do our own thing, we wanted to be left alone. We didn't want the light. We didn't want you. We didn't want your love or your grace. Lord, I pray and share that I am so thankful that you didn't give us what we wanted. You gave us what we needed. You died on that cross for our sins. You were buried and rose again. There's someone in this room, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Savior. Lord, maybe they've not listened to a word I've said. Their own situation seems to be more of what's on their mind. Lord, there's someone in this room that's hurting right now, just heartbroken because of what's happened in their life, in the lives of those they've loved, and just torn apart. I pray they would know that your love is for them, your grace is for them, that you are holding open your arms to them, and if they would just trust in you, they would stop looking to their own solutions and realize that you can forgive them for their sin, that you can heal them for eternity from their spiritual sickness, and that you will give them a home in heaven when we leave this world, not because of what we do, but because of what you've done. For your glory and yours alone, you offer us salvation. And so if there's someone that needs to be saved today, Lord, I pray that they would realize that they have sinned before you, that they can repent of that sin believe that you died on the cross for their sin, 
were buried and rose again and trust in you, surrendering their life to you and allow you to lead them in this life. But Lord, for the one that knows you today, that wants to lovingly serve and help those in their life, Lord, I pray we'd give wisely with wisdom and spirit-led for the one that's always in need, that seems to always be the victim of circumstance in the room today. I pray you'd help them to step back, to ask different questions, to be open and honest and ready to receive the help that is needed for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us in a song of invitation? Would you come and pray? You got someone needy in your life? You want to love them, but you want to do it in the right way? Come and pray. God, give me wisdom in that. Whatever it is that God is doing, would you respond? You want to pray with someone? There's people in the front that would love to pray with you. Come and see one of us, and we'd love to spend some time praying with you. Would you respond this morning?